Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this session for the next 20 minutes with uh, one of my favorite CEOs, Frank Slootman. Frank is the CEO and chair of uh, Snowflake, one of the most respected and uh, accomplished CEOs in enterprise tech. Uh, very seasoned, best known name for taking large startups, incubating engines to well oiled uh, operations, scaled operations, building large go to market teams, building large installs of clients and more importantly, generating a market-driven, value-driven narrative before taking companies to public. Frank has done this three times as a CEO of Data Domain and as a CEO of ServiceNow from 2011 to 2017. And then as a CEO of Snowflake, he took uh, these three companies uh, into public with very successful IPOs. Snowflake in 2020 was the largest software IPO ever. And it was the largest company to ever double its value in, in the first opening day, reaching to $75 billion of market cap. Thank you, Frank, for talking to our teams. And uh, it's, it's an honor to host you at Infosys. Yeah, thanks, Ravi. We really uh, appreciate you guys having us participate uh, in the, in the uh, event. So good to be with you. Thank you, Frank. So Frank, you know, um, I heard this, um, the social channels about your start at Snowflake, I believe um, you were bored at ServiceNow, you wanted to kind of semi-retire, go back to sailing and yachts, which you, which is your favorite ho hobby. I believe you wanted to get professional sailing into, into California. And then suddenly Snowflake happened and you got excited about it and you, uh, and you changed your path. So what's the exciting thing at Snowflake, which really turned the, turned the trajectory for you to come back into the corporate world and create another successful venture? You know, that's, that's actually a, a, a true story. Um, I, I literally had uh, no designs, no intentions on uh, taking the helm at another uh, company. I, I really didn't think how I could top the experience at, uh, at ServiceNow, but uh, I remember having uh, having meetings with uh, with Mike Spicer, who was the lead investor um, at Snowflake from time to time. We served on another board together. And, uh, you know, it, it, one of the, all of a sudden uh, they said, you know, what would it take for you to take the helmet at Snowflake? And it totally surprised me uh, because nothing had really led up to, uh, you know, to that, to that point. And uh, it, it sort of gave me a rush of adrenaline. And uh, just thinking about uh, the possibilities, you know, Snowflake is an important company. Um, it, it's it's they sort of threw away uh, everything they knew about database management, and they wanted to redesign uh, completely for cloud scale computing, cloud architectures. Really, not carry anything uh, forward. And our, as, as you know, our, our founders were longtime Oracle uh, architects and technologists, and. They sort of had lived the problems of that generation, uh, you know, of platform, and really were eager, you know, to to rethink, reimagine, you know, all those things. And it resulted in such a, a step function, if you will, uh, in terms of uh, technology platforms. You know, we see customers, you know, literally going, uh, you know, orders of magnitude change. Not not incremental amounts of change, but orders of magnitude in terms of complex workloads and ingest processes and uh, and so on. So all of a sudden, you know, your mind just starts running 
you know, in terms of the possibilities. And uh, so, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sucker for great products. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what I get up for in the morning. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, oops, I was, uh, I was back there again, you know, and uh, here we are almost exactly two years later uh, right now. So. So Frank, thank you for that. Thank you for that context. In fact, uh, I think in many ways, you are the uh, visionary behind data cloud or data exchanges. And the last time I spoke to you, you mentioned about these two steps. Landing workloads on the cloud by itself is a big virtue uh, with untangling the legacy and everything else. And then data exchange part. Tell us a little bit about why you believe landing workloads on the cloud is such a big deal. You know, a lot of our clients, joint clients, talk about it. Uh, that by itself is uh, is a big journey. Uh, we often uh, talk about that as the transition from Snowflake 1.0 to Snowflake uh, 2.0 because it's very much a generational uh, change. In the first five years, uh, you know, of Snowflake, once we we started to really put product uh, in the marketplace was exactly what you said it's a modernization move you know we're, we're, we're taking on-premise workloads to the cloud uh, to give them uh, obviously enormous uh, scale advantages massive performance advantages utility models on and on and on and you know as, as you well know you know customers uh, you know for them time is not their friend they have to go sooner or later and sooner is better than later um, so there's a huge movement afoot to uh, move A, data to the cloud, and B, then start, uh, you know, enacting these database migrations. So at least we're on the cloud. We are now running our workloads, uh, you know, in, in, in a completely different fashion than before. But that is not the end of the story. Uh, you know, Snowflake 2.0 was really our vision of what else needs to happen, you know, as part of this uh, transition. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, the landscape of cloud today, we see massive infrastructure clouds, right, between AWS and Azure and, and, and GCP and so on. We have massive application clouds between Salesforce and SAP and ServiceNow and Workday and, uh, and so on. And then we look at data and uh, we don't have data clouds. We have data massively fragmented and proliferated all over the place. Um, sometimes we refer to them as silos, but our, our founder, uh, Benoit Dajville, refers to them as bunkers because they're so hard to penetrate. You know, they're hiding behind networks and, and, and system and application perimeters. Um, and that's a real problem. And the reason that it's a problem is, uh, you know, historically, you know, most of our analytics has been what we call in silo. So we ran analytics on Salesforce and on SAP and, and ServiceNow and so on. But data science doesn't look at the world that way, right? It's trying to understand data relationships that completely ignore data silos. There could be completely diverse data sets that establish patterns as well as different types, uh, types of data. And, uh, you know, we have to enable that or we never are going to see the real problems of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So my word of caution to a lot of large customers is don't start building the silos of the future, okay? You really have to think about erasing the silos, then you will completely unleash, unleash the potential and, and, and power of data science. And your data science teams will be grateful, you know, that you had the vision and the foresight to do that rather than just bring your legacy workloads to the cloud. That's just not enough. Thank you, Frank. In fact, uh, you know, every time I speak to clients, you know, recently I spoke to two uh, retail big box companies who had 70% uh, growth on e-commerce in the last one year for, for obvious reasons. And suddenly their e-commerce profitability is much lower than their on-prem physical 
physical stores because their shipping costs are higher, their returns are higher, and they don't do trade promotion on e-commerce as much as they do in uh, physical estates. So they are telling us, take this data estates, monetize it, and give me back money. Do you see that there will be a point when uh, you know putting data warehouses on the cloud is no longer going to be a cost? It's actually going to be a revenue generating work stream, especially in digital front ends. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's there's definitely an, an awakening or a realization, uh, you know, out there that uh, a lot of the businesses are sitting on incredibly, you know, valuable data. You know, for example, you know, there's enterprises out there that are running tens of billions of fast food business, right? What do we think the data is worth that these people are sitting on? I mean, here they're selling hamburgers or whatever, but it's actually the data that uh, that could be extraordinarily, uh, you know, valuable. And retail, of course, we're running on incredibly low margins, but of course, sitting on incredibly potent data, especially when we can combine that data with, with other sources. I mean, the more we combine data, the more potent that that data becomes. This is why the notion of a data cloud and data sharing is so instrumental in unlocking uh, that value. It's just uh, you know companies like you know sales or like uh, like Facebook and Google, they have a single cloud where the, the data is is obviously incredibly powerful and, and and has yielded enormous advertising efficiencies. But for the rest of us, combining the data will will unlock tremendous amounts of value. Well, in order to combine it, you know we need to have an architecture that lets us do that so all of a sudden yeah everybody's waking up and like hey there's a whole other revenue and profit center here that we could have same is true as big finance right i mean large financial institutions that credit card businesses uh so we're incredibly data rich but our ability to to monetize it is and and, and combine data is still in the early stages so that's really what this is all about right it's just unlocking the, the value of data and what you can do with it in fact, at Infosys, we call it the network effect of the cloud, and uh, we are hoping that the data exchanges of Snowflake give us that opportunity to straddle the value chain and bring uh, learned AI models, not just give away data in raw form, but learned AI models which will help them to do better operations. In fact, um, Frank, I wanted to allude a little bit about the industry transitions which are happening now. You know, the energy sector is going through a transition where you have bi-directional flow of energy because of consumers becoming producers. Cars are getting connected. In fact, we, we, we did a very large deal in Europe where we are going to do see connected cars. Uh, by 2030, half the car companies across the world are saying that they're going to go into connected cars and electrification. Manufacturing is going through servitization and platformization. 5G is moving telcos from B2C to B2B. In fact, uh, 5G will disrupt a lot of industries with compute at the point of consumption and storage on the cloud. Uh, we spoke about retailers. They're all straddling the digital estates and trying to monetize. So all the traditions of, uh, of industries, uh, if I may, have a pivot, data has a pivotal role in it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how how you see this industry transitions, especially as we get to the other side of the crisis, we'll see an accelerated path towards that transition. Yeah, no, you, you, you're, uh, you're you're touching on uh, on something that uh, is incredibly uh, disruptive, uh, both in terms of the opportunity that it provides, but it's also highly threatening to traditional enterprises, right? When you when you talk to to large banks these days, they they talk about companies like Square and Stripe and and so on. Who are the competitors? You know, Amazon is threatening to be, uh, you know, not just in retail, obviously, but also in, in healthcare and 
logistics and and other lines of business. So we we just don't know uh, how traditional enterprises and industries, you know, what they're going to look like. Uh, because under the influence of, of digital transformation, there might be a whole new set of players on deck. And uh, yeah, that's, that obviously it all starts with, uh, you know, what are your systems, right? Uh, and what, what is your data? Data has become the, the beating heart of the digital enterprise. And, uh, you know, we, we as a company have to, and, and you as well, uh, obviously you have to meet people where they are. Some of them are very advanced. They're born in the cloud. Uh, they have all these disciplines and that expertise. They were really founded on, on, on cloud and, and digital uh, principles. And there's others who don't even have the beginnings of a data platform or the beginnings of a data science uh, discipline or enterprises. They're still running reports and populating dashboards. Nothing wrong with that, but obviously uh, this is far more disruptive and, and invasive uh, than than we can possibly uh, imagine. So we really need to uh, sort of, you know, have our peripheral vision here and really understand what's all coming at us and how these changes are happening. It's so easy now for consumers to change from one service provider to another because it's just a digital experience, right? And just go from one log into another and all of a sudden, oops, you know, I'm in, and I'm in a completely different realm. So, all, you know, healthcare, that's another area where, you know, so much of the value of, of healthcare itself is going to be delivered through data you know, not through science per se. I mean, the science obviously is incredibly important, but what can data bring to the science is just uh, enormous. And you can talk to pharmaceutical companies, they know this, right? And I'll, I'll give you an example, right? If, if we have an, an MRI scan, uh, you know, in our, in our data cloud, what can be done, you know, in terms of enhanced data processing to that MRI cloud by combining it with demographic data, with historical data, you know, with other patient data, clinical data, uh, so that we get very, very precise, very, very, very fast, very value-added uh, reads on these scans, right? So, in other words, it's going to be life-enhancing for for patients because they're going to get much better, uh, you know, diagnoses, much more precise, much quicker, and much better therapies and treatments as a result. That's all because of data. That's not because of new science, right? And we see these opportunities absolutely everywhere, and it also leads to a whole new realm in software development because there will be people building these kinds of services that are absolute <laughs> experts at uh, at these types of, of applications, right? More, more microservice-oriented, and they'll be used by lots and lots of different applications. So we, we might be on the, on the cusp of, of just an enormous renaissance in, in software development here, uh, which we're, we're very excited about because the software development, we, it's all about scaling it down, you know, where people with very minimal resources can create extraordinary uh, value and then market that and transact on that, uh, you know, without needing <laughs> massive companies and organizations uh, to do it. Software has been a hard business to get into, you know, it takes a tremendous amount of resource, you know. Absolutely, Frank. And those are great examples. In fact, uh, I keep telling our clients that infrastructure is going to go big and software is going to go modular. Yeah. And um, you rightly pointed out. In fact, I, I had a slightly provocative question for you. Uh, the hyperscalers were investing heavily on infrastructure. In fact, between uh, between Google, Microsoft, and uh, AWS, they, they spent almost $150 billion in the last three years just on building public infrastructure on the cloud, which uh, companies like Snowflake can ride on. Uh, how much do you see, and they don't make, you know, uh, the economics of that is to actually build layers of value above it and build those marketplaces where uh, all of us can straddle. But where do you see they actually moving up the chain over a period of time and start to compete with, uh, you know, best in class 
and data platforms like Snowflake. They already have, they already are competing with you on one side, but they're actually on the other side, they're partnering with you. What is your view about uh, they seeing this as a serious business opportunity for themselves? Yeah, it's uh, it's a question. You know, obviously, that we uh, we get all the time. Um, you know, the, the, the reality certainly for uh, for AWS and, and Microsoft is that you know their 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 posture is we need to foster innovation and choice on our platforms because if we're just going to try and build everything ourselves and. Uh, the only option that's available to customers is is the option from the the cloud platform itself. They may end up in in a not so best of breed uh, situation because you know how can one company build the best of everything that just has never happened in the history uh, of software? So you just cannot have a strategy, you know, being Microsoft uh, or Amazon that says, well, your your only choice will be uh, you know what we offer you. And, and they, I think that both Amazon and Microsoft, based on, on my dealings with them, you know, do have conviction around it. Does it sometimes lead to friction? Yes, uh, but the friction is not bad. I mean, we like to say, you know, uh, steel sharpens steel. We make them better, uh, and they have said so again and again. You know, you make us move faster, and, and we're going to have better products because uh, because you exist. Now, it's obviously incumbent upon us to run hard and fast and furious, uh, you know, towards the future. But you know, at, at the end of the day, and I hate using that expression, um, everybody's going to be better off because everybody's going to end up with more innovation, more choices than they otherwise would have. So, um, you know, we're looking for the win for the customer. Um, you know, if we're not the better solution, then we don't deserve to be there. And uh, you know, so our our whole game is to be you know that that best option. That's that's what we bank on. Thank you, Frank. That is so well said. In fact. Uh... You're going to find this situation always in the market where you're going to compete and uh, and collaborate with many many enterprises across the world. Uh, you know how much do you believe data privacy regulation will come on the way as you as you put exchanges and you start to share consumer data across the spectrum of a value chain? Do you see governments now starting to react about it? Yeah, uh, you know, data governance is 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 one of the the single biggest topics uh, in our conversations uh, with customers. I mean, two years ago, it was sort of an ancillary conversation. Uh, now you see in, in large institutions that data governance is really the gating, uh, you know, between the data and, and, and the business. In other words, uh, the organization, before the business sees any data in any form, um, they got to be able to ensure that the data is secure and compliant from, you know, various privacy and other types of regulations so it went from sort of being adjacent to being uh, in front of the the supply chain if you will data will not be getting to the business unless you know the institutions can guarantee and people can completely own the uh, the security and the privacy uh, of that data it's a huge topic of conversation and it's, it's one of the reasons that Snowflake has, you know, uh, had an incredible, uh, you know, run because people, you know, a, a platform like Snowflake, we know what's coming in. We know what people are doing. It's completely auditable, right? And it's so important that you have a platform where we know where things are coming from. We know who's using the data. We know where they're putting it. We know what they're doing to it. Um, those kind of capabilities are going to be non-negotiable going forward. It's no longer the wild west of a data lake with, you know, we're just dumping tons and tons of files in there and people are sort of in a wild west style having their way with the data and, and, and having a nice time. 
those those days will that can't happen. I mean, uh, when you talk to large institutions out there for whom their brands are sacrosanct, there is no way you know they will compromise or or negotiate on their brand. And so, in other words, you know, governance is is number one, and uh, you know, performance and scale and all these other great things that we're talking about here, you know, are coming after that, and uh, that's sort of a change. And uh, you know, we, we have invested a great deal in our ability to uh, you know implement data clean rooms, the ability to share data without expose, exposing uh, data between the sharing uh, partners, and that has enabled, uh, and we can anonymize the data. And you know we we can maintain the compliance. Uh, you know we never relinquish custody to data either. All these all these techniques that we now have as part of our architecture really enable uh, different parties to share data. You know without getting compromised from a, either a security or a compliance uh, perspective. So it's actually very promising that you need these platforms to enable these kind of data operations. You know. Thank you, Fred. Thank you so much for your conversation today. Every time I've actually spoken to you, I've always come out uh, enriched with more learning, and uh, you always inspire us uh, in, in the corporate world. Thank you again for talking to our teams at Infosys. You bet. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Ravi. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.